Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. installment of Eye for an Eye. We are your hosts, Julia, Lisa, and Matt, and we are here to determine whether the punishment, or lack thereof, fits the crime. Due to the graphic nature of some of the topics we will be touching on, listener discretion is advised. Good evening, everybody. What up, y'all? Welcome back to Eye for an Eye podcast. I'm your host, Lisa, and I'm here with my trusty co-host. Trusty is not the word I would use for us today. Yeah, probably not. But Matt and Jules, okay. say hi to everybody. Hello. Hello, everyone. So today we're bringing you a blind eye case. And if you're not familiar and you're new here, blind eye cases are eye for eye cases that don't have a sentence to debate on, right? So that's what the main part of our podcast is, is you know, saying whether or not the punishment fits the crime. This case, we don't really have a punishment for the crime, but we will talk about it because there is a little tiny one in here. We're going to get right into it. We're happy to have you with us. I just wanted to say at the top of this episode that I wanted to give a trigger warning because, I mean, there's there should be a trigger warning on pretty much all of our episodes, and you'll find that with Matt's disclaimer at the top of the show, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is an extra trigger warning because this case discusses a graphic case of death by suicide. And we wanted to make a note, if you or anyone you know is struggling, help is available. The National Suicide Prevention Line is 800-273-8255. And we will list that in our show notes as well. And just so you know, you are not alone. You are not alone. I would also like to say thank you for that, Lisa. I was literally going to say you are not alone. We all struggle. And... Reach out to your friends, man. Everybody out there, talk to the people that you Absolutely. feel like you haven't connected with in a while. Yeah. You might reach be the out one. To us. Yeah, so well. reach anyway. out to us if you need. We might not be friends yet, but we can be, and Amen. we love to talk. So you guys are Amen. all family to and listen. All right. So getting into this case, you guys. Timothy Pitson was born in Aurora, Illinois, on October eighteenth, two thousand four, as the only child of James Pitson and Amy Fry Pitson. Now, I want to make an editor's note here, which I messaged to Jules and Matt earlier today, because this, if you're a longtime listener, you know that this is something that follows us at Eye for an Eye all the time. May 11th is my birthday, and every single case has something with May 11th in it. Without or like, fail. Literally, yeah. without fail. Without fail, almost all the time. And it's either on May 11th or around May 11th, which to me is insane. Because why? Why does that happen? I actually just sent Matt and Jules two cases that both had May days, like right there. There's the tagline of the one. You're like, I know. Right. yeah, I don't, I don't remember what the one was from yesterday. Yeah, it was like back to back. I found two cases that have to do with May 11th, which freaks me out a little bit. I think it means something. Whatever, something's wrong in May apparently, even though it's my favorite month. So back to the case, the reason I brought that up is because this place, this place, this case takes place on May 11th, 2011. 
James Pitson dropped his son off at his kindergarten class at Greenman Elementary School. According to James, everything that morning between himself, his wife, and Timothy seemed normal. Unbeknownst to James, however, between 8.10 and 8.15 a.m., Central Time, right? That's Central Time? Mm-hmm. Illinois, yes. His mother, Amy, came to check him out of class, and she cited the reason as a family emergency. We'd come to find out later that the family emergency was non-existent. Interesting. Yeah. At 10 a.m., Amy and Timothy dropped off Amy's vehicle at a repair shop. An employee at the repair shop, which I found kind of interesting, drove Amy and Timothy to the Brookfield Zoo. I've never heard of, like, a repair shop employee. Maybe they had, like, a shuttle service. But, like, it was kind of, maybe it was, like, a personal... I think for dealerships, they have them if your car is going to be there for the day. They'll drop you off somewhere. Yeah. I mean... I've seen it, but it's definitely, if it's a smaller company, it's not. I just thought it was an interesting note. It is. So Timothy and his mom hung out at the zoo for a little while, and then they returned to the repair shop around 3 p.m. and drove to the Key Lime Cove Resort in Gurney, which is where they spent the night. On May 12th, 2011, the pair drove to the Kalahari, which for those who don't know is an indoor water park resort, in Wisconsin Dells, which is in Wisconsin which is two hours and 48 minutes away from Timothy's elementary school. So she picked him up, took him to the car dealership. They went to uh, the Key Lime Cove Resort, and then they drove two and a half, two hours and 48 minutes to the Kalahari Resort, which is interesting when you cite a family emergency. Now, this was not the first time Amy had made trips that were, according to her family, seemingly inexplicable. I pass records, which for those in Pennsylvania is like an easy pass out that way. And if you're not from there, it's just like a pass that you go on the turnpike with. Records show that Pitson took two trips to the Dixon Rock Falls Sterling area in the winter of February 2011 and the other time in March. So she was like known for taking really strange, random, inexplicable trips. But we'll talk about it. So this was... I hike feel that vibe though <laughs> I, I i do that you just but. take random two hour and 45 minute trips by yourself in the winter for I no have. reason for zero reason i'm a very um scared driver especially in winter weather especially mm. we're talking illinois wisconsin like they don't have like like yeah where, normal winter weather there. where so was she going in the dead of winter right like i, I get like, more of like a summer spring fall road trip maybe mm-hmm. you're looking at some foliage you're you yep. know exploring but could have been a blunt rod for all we know mm-hmm. and she got sure. lost well, we'll talk about what we think it was because yeah. we have some assumptions but definitely strange when they were in the Kalahari Resort area. It's like I said, it's an indoor water park. They, I guess, spent the day there on May 12th, and it was confirmed that they were seen checking out on May 13th at about 10 a.m. So it was confirmed that they were there overnight. They spent the time at the water park. We don't know if they actually went to the water park, but there's like rooms. It's like a hotel. I've been there before. Not this specific one, obviously, but. So the CCTV footage, like I said, saw them in the checkout line at the resort at 10 a.m. the next day. And this would be the last time Timothy was seen at all, and it would be the last time his mother was seen alive. Talking about uh, the case now, between 12 and 1.30 p.m. on May 13, 2011, Timothy's mom called several of her family members, including her mother and brother-in-law, telling them that her and Timothy were safe and not in any danger. 
So it seems that Amy's Colorado family were kind of in a direct response to the multiple calls made by her husband James trying to locate the parrot once he had learned from the school that Amy had picked up their son without warning. He couldn't get a hold of Amy, but he was calling everyone. So I'm guessing her calls to them was kind of in response like, hey, tell James, like, we're fine. He made this startling realization when he went to pick up Timothy from school on May 11th, and the school told James Amy had already come to get him early that morning. That's like, that's chilling to me. I know, and again, citing a family emergency. So many thriller movies, horror movies, like, have that sort of dynamic in it. Oh, it's chilling. It's very chilling. Can you imagine being him in that moment? Like, she didn't say anything to me. Yeah. And my son's not at school, and they said she went to pick him up. That's creepy. It's very off-putting, to be yeah. honest. And, like, yeah, and it just gets worse. So according to the recipients of the phone calls Amy made, like I said, her mother and her brother-in-law, and again, that's kind of strange, too. She called her husband's brother. They could hear Timothy in the background saying that he was hungry. It's just an interesting note I thought to add. And cell phone records show the calls were made from an area northwest of Sterling, Illinois, which is another two hours and 48 minutes away from the Kalahari Resort. So it looks like she was starting to drive almost back towards where they came from but it was just weird that spent a lot of time in the car and that was something I wanted to know. While Amy contacted other family members it seemed she never called her husband who at this point was frantically searching for his wife and son. But she called his brother. Yeah she called his brother and it yeah it's creepy. Just wait. James recalled it was not out of the ordinary for his wife to take long drives to clear her head if she was having a depressive episode, which we'll talk more about in a little bit. But what was unusual is this time she had Timothy with her. James had resisted his urge to call the police at first, still hoping he would hear from Amy, but there were too many red flags that made James's hair stand up. He discovered that Amy had not taken her depression medication with her and may not have been taking them for several days because four bottles sat in the medicine cabinet untouched. Additionally, the phone call to James's brother, like we were talking about, felt the most concerning. When she called James' brother, Chuck, he directed her to call James right away, as he had a right to know where his wife and son were and to know that they were safe. And Amy's response to that, to Chuck saying, hey, please call James. Like, James is worried about you. You need to call him. Sent chills down his spine. She said, quote, Tim is my son, and I can do what I want. Yikes. End quote. Um, is that in his best interest if she's doing what she wants? <laughs> right? And Amy, after that phone call, turned her phone off. Chuck, sh- Chuck should have been like, we got a big problem here. <laughs> well, yeah, he did. He immediately called James and told him what was going on, which made James then go back to the police and say, like, we need to file a report right. and figure this out. And originally, the police said that he should wait 24 hours, but I guess they showed up the next day before that 24-hour mark and realized, like, hey, okay, let's let's file this. So while that was all going on, records show, like I was saying before, that she drove to Sterling, Illinois, which is a small manufacturing steel town surrounded by farmland about 80 miles west of Aurora, which is where they're from. What was interesting about that specific location is that's where she drove back in February and March, like we were talking about. However, her family does report that they were not aware she had any acquaintances in that area and did not report that she knew anybody from that part of town. But it's interesting to note, and I think we should discuss it a little later, that she went there twice right. in the winter, and now she went back there with Timothy. At least that's what her cell phone records show. 
At 7.25 on May 13, 2011, Amy was seen alone on security cameras at a family dollar store in Winnebago, Illinois, where she purchased a pen, notepaper, and envelopes. At 8 p.m., she was seen again without Timothy at a Sullivan's food store. At 11.15 p.m., she checked into the Rockford Inn in Rockford, Illinois, and there was no report of seeing Timothy with her there either. At 12.30 p.m. on May 14th, a hotel maid was doing her rounds and went to Amy's room for a cleaning. The room was locked with the security chain, but the maid was able to open it enough to see that in the room was Amy's lifeless and bloodied body with a note. They got into the room, obviously she called the police, and in the note they found that Amy had apologized for the mess she created for the hotel staff and explained that Timothy was with people who would care for him but would never be found. Two other letters written by Amy, one to her mother and one to her best friend, arrived the next day, echoing the contents of the motel note. She wrote, quote, I've taken him somewhere safe. He will be well cared for and he says that he loves you. Please know that there is nothing that you could have said or done that would have changed my mind. Insanity. So, the investigation, let's get into it. Sometime in the late night or early morning of May 14th, it is believed that Amy took a lethal dose of antihistamines and slashed her own wrists and arms. And her throat. She also slashed her throat. Police found that the knife that Amy used to take her own life contained only her blood. However, a concerning amount of blood was found in her car. And that blood belonged to Timothy. However, later, a family member came forward to say that Timothy had suffered a severe nosebleed earlier that month, and those stains could be from that. And for some reason, the detectives on the case accepted that as well. I'm about to say, what? That could very well be true. However, like, can we test? Can we, look? like, yeah. we don't How just accept word nosebleed, though? I mean, well, I've had some nosebleeds in my life. I've seen some bad ones, but... Are you I'm telling saying, me that this I'm kid? I'm trying like, to think about this from all. That's aspects. a good point, Jules. You have and to think very, of the detective's mind. Right. And, and you have to think the detectives must have seen something to make that be an okay response. Right. Right? Because, like, Timothy's blood was not on the knife that they found at the scene with Amy's body. However, Timothy was nowhere to be found, and his backpack was nowhere to be found. And in her note, she had said she dropped him off with someone who will care for him and love him. And he will never be found. That's so, confusing. Yeah, she said he's in a safe place, and like, yeah. so that's what makes you think he could very well be. Well, that's what the police are saying. Is like, okay, none of his stuff is here. Mm. He's gone. Not his blood's not on the murder, the suicide weapon, just in her car. Which again is still kind of strange. But you're right. Like, if they accepted that as a response, there must have been more reason to accept that. But we'll go over it. Hope. So, police and investigators were also unable to locate Amy's cell phone, which immediately drew suspicion. Additionally, none of Timothy's belongings, like I was saying, had been recovered, including his backpack that he was seen wearing in the CCTV footage. So, an examination of her car revealed that her car had been parked in a grassy area, possibly by a stream, but in still close proximity to a highway. And I just want to point out how cool, like, it is that we can, like, deduce that from, like, things on the tires and, like, where the car was found and just things like that. And eventually, her cell phone was recovered alongside the road on an Illinois Route 78 north of Mount Carroll, Illinois, which is approximately 1 hour and 12 minutes from where her body was found. So, it looks like she ditched her phone about an hour and 10 minutes, 12 minutes away from where she ended up. 
Now, no evidence was brought forth from her cell phone. However, it was noted that there was an outgoing call made by Amy to James's phone, so Timothy's dad's phone. However, that call never went through. Mm-hmm. Timothy's dad has said that he thinks maybe that's why she called his brother because she couldn't get a hold of him. But it's interesting that she wouldn't have just tried again. Right. When James and Amy began dating, it was a case of opposites of tract, as we see quite often. Amy was more outgoing and loved to party and travel, and James was more content with a beer and his buddies just now and again. It wasn't long until James had learned some things about Amy that did raise concern, however. Amy had been divorced three times prior to marrying James and had a history of severe depression and had attempted suicide twice. One of those times was by parking on train tracks and only driving away in the last minutes before the train's arrival. That's horrifying. The second suicide attempt, Amy took a handful of sleeping pills and tumbled 30 feet down an embankment on the side of the road. And in that moment, she fractured her vertebra and suffered hypothermia. Jesus. She was taken to a hospital and got back on her medications, which is where she called James because she was dating James at that time and said, hey, I'm back on my meds. Doctors have seen me, you know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. According to Amy's sister, the siblings did not have an easy upbringing, something she contributes to Amy's declining mental health. She was quoted saying in one of the articles that I was reading about this case that she didn't want to talk about the specifics that her and her siblings went through, but they all seemed to deal with it a different way. And clearly Amy's way, it was bottling it up and it was contributing to her declining mental health. It was stated that James and Amy had somewhat of a tumultuous relationship, especially so in the year leading up to that fateful day. But even well before 2011, the pair struggled to get along. They nearly divorced in 2008 when James discovered texts between his wife and one of her three ex-husbands discussing plans for a rendezvous while James was out of town. James told Byron Smith of the Chicago Mag, quote, they'd had lunch a couple of times and they were supposed to meet that weekend. I told her to make up her mind. If you want to be with that guy, go be with that guy. We'll get a divorce and I don't care how much money your dad has, I'll find a way to get custody of Timothy, end quote. It seems those words would haunt James forever as that specific threat seemed to loom over Amy the heaviest. One of Amy's biggest fears was that James would take her to court and the judge would take Timothy away from her since Amy had a history of mental illness. Amy did not originally want children as she feared her depression would be inherited by any offspring that she might have. And James's battle with Hodgkin's lymphoma when he was 20 had him thinking that he couldn't reproduce himself. So when they found out that they were pregnant with little Timothy, they took it as a miracle. And according to Kara, like I said, Amy's sister... She said, quote, it was like all of a sudden her life had meaning and that, okay, maybe this is it. I was meant to be Tim's mom and this is my path. And it did seem to be that way for a while. She seemed to be very happy. They almost spoke their own language, her and Timothy. Things just kept kind of piling up on Amy. Things are good for a while. But when her father's company 
that she had worked for herself started to collapse, so did Amy's sense of stability and thus her mental health. Her sister said, quote, I believe to the core of my being that Amy knew what she was going to do to herself and that she did not want her son to grow up with a legacy of suicide. I think in her way, by giving him to another family, she thought Tim would be loved and cared for by what she would consider a normal loving family and not have to grow up with the stigma. So you know what that quote reminded me of? Dear Zachary, that's what it's called, right? That documentary, which if you have not seen, it's absolutely heartbreaking. You'll cry. You will cry. I cried. I literally couldn't. It took me a long time to recover from that. It's that same like sort of thing where the stigma I don't know it's just that quote reminded me of that so yeah it's it's just very sad but it's, I have I mean, not seen that actually oh my gosh oh boy What's it we on? should all watch it together um, I watched it on Amazon Prime but I think it's I think yeah, it's on a lot it's of on a couple it's things I believe very sad James Pitson had stated publicly that he believes his son is still alive Family and friends of the Pitsons have appeared on various television shows to get the word out there about Timothy, such as Dr. Phil and Live PD. On April 2, 2019, local residents in Newport, Kentucky called the police to report a teenager wandering the streets after running across a bridge over the Ohio River. When asked, this shaken and distraught boy said he was Timothy. However, the next day, the Louisville office of the FBI released a statement that said, quote, Although we are disappointed that this turned out to be a hoax, we remain diligent in our search for Timothy as our missing person's case remains unsolved. And would quote. that timeline match up? So that was 2019 and they say. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like, they don't, to this day, they don't know where Timothy is. Right, right, right. But I'm saying if he, that was 2019 and they say they saw a teenager. Does that timeline match up with how Right now, he'd be 17, so... He'd be 17 right now. So three years minus, so he'd be like 14. So yeah. still a teen. Okay. The man who claimed to be Timothy was actually 23-year-old Brian Michael Rainey. Rainey had just been released from a Belmont Correctional Institution in Ohio after serving about 14 months on charges of burglary and vandalism. He came out and was like, I'm starting a whole new life. (laughs) I'm this guy. I'm not just starting my life over. I'm starting a new life. I'm Timothy now. And he had learned about the case from an episode of 2020. According to reports, Brian also had psychiatric issues, and when asked why he impersonated the missing boy, Brian said he wished he had a father like Timothy's. That's kind of sad. In 2020, Rainey was charged with aggravated identity theft and was sentenced to two years in prison. Age progression technology has been used to try to give an accurate picture of what Timothy would look like today. He would be age 17, and we will post that picture when this episode airs. So I just wanted to end this before we talk about it with a little note. If you or someone you know has any information regarding Timothy Pitson, his disappearance, or where he might be today, please contact the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Visit online or call 1-800-THE-LOST, which is 1-800-843-5678, as this is still very much an ongoing investigation for Timothy. So let's talk about it, you guys. I have a few questions for you guys, so let's chat them up and see what y'all think. So first things first, since we just ended talking about Brian Reaney, I just want to know what you guys think. Should he be serving two years for the claimed hoax and falsifying that he was Timothy? It seems a little bit harsh, especially since you noted that Brian, you know, was having his own mm-hmm. psychiatric issues. I mean, is throwing him back in jail, which he had just gotten 
or I guess he was in a correctional institute. So I don't know. I think he should be punished because he got, you know, people's hopes up Mm -hmm. and it's wrong. But two years seems a little harsh. That's more time. Like I said, I know he was in a correctional institution for 14 months. So that was right. And so he's in jail now for less or more time than that. Yeah. I, I think it's think? just a little odd, honestly. I mean, I, I don't know. Two years in jail? Y- yeah. and Well, both really, that he did this, first of all, impersonating a missing child who is either dead or somewhere else. But I'm also like, two years seems like a lot for just, you know, not like he claimed to be like the Pope's son or something and like tried to make money out of this like what would he have done right he wanted like a, a loving dad because he didn't have that in his own life like that's really sad yeah that's sad like what 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 bad would have come from this other than to be like is it him nope okay so you're an asshole is what I think like it's kind of a rude way to get that family's hopes up for a moment but I also think two years in jail for that seems like Yikes, man. Yeah. Right? Have you guys ever seen the documentary The Imposter? No. We'll have to cover that case as another case, but... We need to start making a list of all these that we need to watch, because... We'll have a movie night, because I have a lot of them. But anyway, so what do you think would be appropriate for a rainy sentence? Or do you think he should have been sentenced at all? I think he probably should have gone to, like, an institution. Uh, That's what I'm thinking. Like, dealt with him on a psychiatric level. Yeah, he needs help, man. Like, this is one of those rare occasions where I'm like, yeah, you're an asshole, but I don't think you deserve to go to jail for it. And, like, if his reasons were true, I mean, like, it's messed up what he did, but, like... Yeah, it is. It's very sad. It's wrong. I mean, maybe like six months, yeah. like something where he's like, you know, or like probation, like right. where you talk to a therapist or you have a like court order. To no, therapy. I don't have that shit. Right. <laughs> it just, it seems like nobody wanted to deal with him, so they just yeah. threw him in jail. That's yeah, that's the shame of it, right, Jules? It's very sad. Um, okay, so my second question. Then I agree with you guys. I think I think we all kind of agree on that. It, two years is a bit harsh. But we do believe there should have been some consequences because you did get the family's hopes up. Yeah, and, for sure. More that know. that's just a dick move, though. Yeah. You know, like, why right. would you choose him of all people you could have chosen to be? You could have lied and been like, yo, I'm, I'm somebody's son. And they're like, what? And spent six months in court trying to prove that. But could have made money off that, written a book. Instead, you choose to go to jail. I don't know. Well, so my second question for you guys is, do we believe that Timothy was dropped off with strangers who are caring for him? Which kind of falls into my last question, question, which is, what do you think happened to Timothy? I think this this is hard, and my answer kind of goes into both of these questions. I feel that even if you thought you were doing the right thing in the moment by taking Timothy in, that has to there has to be a moment where you think, am I really doing the right thing? He has a father. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, at at least to the knowledge that we have, it's not like James is some child abuser, Mm -hmm. pedophile creep. And he also has grandparents, uncles, aunts. Right. Like he seems, you know, there are plenty of people who can care for him if, even if we decided that James wasn't a reasonable caretaker. But so for me, like, I have so much guilt about everything I do that I would just be like, I can't keep this kid from his family. It's not right. Well, I think that was almost her point. Like, she didn't, she she was kind of like, if I can't have him, neither can you. Well, right, and you're not going to take him from who me. now have him. They yeah. have to have that guilt of, like, how can I? Well, I wonder if they know. 
That's true. That's a whole other right. Like maybe it's like some random like farming town. It is. But hold on, like he was seven, right? So when this happened, he was born in two thousand four. This was two thousand eleven. Yeah, no, I can't. So I'm like, I'm like, hold on. He's old. He's in kindergarten. Yeah. So he's old enough to say like, "Where's my dad?" Five or six. Yeah, so he might be in first grade, like honestly, and like they know by that point. I, I, I don't have kids. I'm assuming a kid knows at that point, though. I knew who my parents were. I know like who my uncles were and who my aunts were and who yeah, my but, friends were. Like, how much were. control like, do you have over that? One? You don't You're have five. control over. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying to to this extent, he was seven. But you know he's I'm in saying, kindergarten. You're not seven in kindergarten, are you? No, you're five or six in kindergarten. So, so he's probably six. All right, so he's six. probably six. All right, so he's six. <laughs> we have his I'm fucking bad birthday. at math. Um, so <laughs> I'm looking at it though, and I'm going. He definitely, if he's alive, would remember that first part of his life. I mean, they brainwashed him. Into what though? Forgetting his entire existence? Yeah. I don't know. I or don't maybe know. like his mom made up a lie and said like your dad doesn't want you. Like this is your new family. Like who knows? Who knows? But I but don't. Do you think mm, he's alive? Like is no. that what you're saying? You're saying you think she no. killed him? I'm almost positive yeah. she killed him. Yeah. I don't want to think that she killed him. I think but she killed him. I have to think. That's what I'm going back to. I have to think if you are those people. I mean, unless you're, you know. You're living under a rock. You don't have TV, news, any sort of like outlet to the world. You have to see the pleas of Timothy's family. So how can you live with that? So maybe he, I maybe he's dead. I well, that kind of goes to my next question as well. And what I was saying is, while this is a blind eye case, do we think if Timothy is ever found alive that the people who raised him should be held liable? Absolutely. What if they didn't know, though? Because, like, uh, they did take him to, like, a random-ass rural farm town, if that's where, like, that's where they're assuming he is. And they've looked, and they obviously didn't find him, but... That's what I'm saying. That town that she visited twice and was the last place she was seen with her cell phone and with Timothy. But, like, do they not have TV? Do they not have news? Do do, do they not have public for other people to see him? It could be. Come on. It you're, could be. You're stretching it, dude. I'm, I, Watch, I, she'll be found with an Amish ask family. Ask the fourth question. On Rumspringer when he's 18 ask next the, year. Ask the fourth question. I did already. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. I asked you with the second question. What do you think happened to Timothy? I think he's dead. Yeah, I'm but what do you think happened? I think his mother murdered him. I think she And put him where? Somewhere in the middle of that big wilderness you're talking about. Yeah, the farmland. Why else would she be out there? And to I, give him to a family. I don't... That's what I'm saying. You're talking... And Jules is right. Like, they're complicit in it in that case. And wouldn't some level of guilt... Or, yeah, like, okay... I mean, crazier things have happened. I'm saying it's a less than 2% chance. And I'm saying it's less than 1%, actually. Like, this kid has not come forward in all this... It's been 10 years. I'm saying it's sad. Did you guys ever hear about that case where the person... We'll have to cover it. Found out that they were a missing kid by their picture on a milk jug. And that their person, the person who kidnapped them, that they thought was their mother, wasn't their mother. That's horrifying. Same shit. I'm looking at the age progression picture now. You know. I don't know. I I don't want to believe that he is dead because his family thinks he's very much alive and thinks like one like soon he'll come forward. Well, they think it because they don't want to come to terms, right? Like that's another. I don't know that we can. Well, and she wrote it in her note, but I mean that could also be. That doesn't sound like she's the most reliable character. That sounds like heaven to me. Is what her picture of heaven was. He's in a safe place. Like yeah, that's creepy. That's true. I don't. That's what I'm reading that as. It's like yeah, don't worry, he's safe. 
I'll never uh, he'll be well again. looked after. She didn't say by who. Yeah, it's Maybe true. she meant me. <gasps> oh my gosh, he, there's this little picture. I know, of it's very so sad. Show Matt. I, I'm, I'm sad to say I believe. Oh, he has an Ohio State jersey. That's another subject, but. <laughs> oh. I'm sad to say I believe that this child, unfortunately, was murdered by his mother. I really don't think. And, and to me, they didn't find him, but you're, some kid just doesn't pop up in the middle of it. It's been 10 years. And he doesn't just pop up in the middle of a community and everybody be like, hey, who the hell is that? Where did the Mortensons come up with this kid? Right, that's what I'm saying. You know like, what I mean? Strangers should they never happened. take him out? Just no, like. I hope to God the worst case scenario is that he's imprisoned somewhere in some rural fuck town in the middle of Illinois. But Timothy? I'm telling you, yeah. But I'm telling you, I believe he's dead, unfortunately. His, his mother killed him and. Yeah, I mean, and I, killed herself. I mean, couldn't live with the. What about JC Dugard's case? She went. She. It happens, but kidnapped like for what thirty nine years. We're it happens, it. but like how often? Yeah, definitely not. I mean, how do we know how often? Because we it's don't. It's a not blind eye. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, no, I agree. I mean, I mean, definitely statistics are not on Timothy's side, unfortunately. But for his family, I would hope that you know, I get, I get why they're holding out hope, and I, I can't tell anyone how to process this kind of situation so if they want to believe he's alive that's then that's what you know is going to happen but i do i am inclined to believe that he is no longer with us and i do agree with you matt and that her note sounded a lot like she was describing like an afterlife type of situation that's how i'm reading that not that she dropped him with some random fucking person that oh yeah i've been here once i met them he's safe though and the blood in the car like that is weird. what's weird to me is that investigators wrote it off so quickly i want to know why but to jules point like yeah that's a possibility you're right it could happen can't we tell how long it's been sitting there like come on i'm no scientist but i think i know like it also goes back to me to the rationale that that family does not want to admit that he's dead and that yeah, she yeah. held I mean, him. They're like, oh, wait, you know, he had a nosebleed like six weeks ago when we were getting ice cream. And they're like fishing. Like, that to me sounds like, no, mm-hmm. dude, she killed that's him. A, and that's a level of grief, which we can't yeah. even That's understand. exactly right. I'm not going to so, understand it. I'm just going to try and rationalize it. Right. Like, that to yeah, me is like, right. that to me sounds like you're reaching, dude. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure the police probably don't. And, and listen, I'm not a cop. I have a lot of friends who are police, and I really know that I'm very few on the detective side, but like, I know it's one of those tough jobs where when you know the right answer, you can't always say it. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, it's also the opposite. There's a lot of cases that are immediately rolled off as suicide that are very clearly weren't. Yeah, that's and, true. That's very true. And, and then they use that whole defense, like the family just doesn't want to accept it. But the family's like, there's a million reasons why we don't think it's... Why it's not. Yeah. Right. And, so, and, well, and we're, we're going to cover some of them. I have a few Well, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like going back for a moment. So think about the day that they had, right? So like they... His like last day. Right, she took him out of school. They go to the zoo. They go to this cool water park thing. Yeah. Like... An indoor water park. You're right, you're right. You know, maybe... I mean, I agree with you guys. That just makes uh, me sad. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like she's giving them, like, the best last Right. Day. Like, they probably had ice cream, and she's like, pick your favorite meal, we'll ha-, you know, like, that kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. So sad. Well, that's why this is a blind eye case, you guys. And again, if you or someone you know has any information regarding Timothy Pitson, his disappearance, or where he might be today, please contact the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, or call 1-800-THE-LOST, which is 1-800-843-5678. 
Timothy, we hope you're out there and you're found. And if not, you know, we hope you're resting easy. Yeah. Um, and I think that wraps up this blind eye case, you guys. Let yeah, us know what you think. Let us know your thoughts. I would be very interested to hear other perspectives on this because... I agree. I'd be I very so many ways. Right. Yeah, this is one of those cases where it's like, honestly, I'm pretty set in my opinion, but you could have five different ones. Oh, yeah. for sure. Everybody be like, no, listen. Like, right. And have a point to stake. So. Yeah, 100%. 100% agree. And, you know, we do have to remember she was off her medicine, so you have to keep that in consideration and stuff like that. So let us know what you guys think. Uh, rate, re- review, subscribe, hang out with us. If you're listening to this, um, you might be a Patreon member, so we thank you. Um, I don't know if we're releasing this on the main account yet, but we will talk about it, and hopefully we'll see you over there. So have a good day, evening, noon, night, everybody, and we'll see you later. Bye. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>